thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Yeah, so like I said, we're heading into uh, Mark uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, okay? And uh, you can turn there if you have them. We will have them up on the screen just briefly as we read through them. Um, and, uh, and we're going to get going. Uh, next week, I'm going to do a little bit of a recap, kind of where we've been. But this week with our time and wanting to make sure that we had time for communion and we're able to enter into that and then some of the things we have to do after the service, I'm going to just get right into this passage. And again, next week we'll do a little bit of a recap of wherever, everywhere we've been since we started into the, into the series uh, of, uh, of, of the Gospel of Mark and what it means to, uh, to follow the servant king, right? What it means to follow him. So let me just get started here. So one of the things that we see as we enter into Mark 6 is that we're going to, it's really going to look at the unbelief of people, right? So as people encounter Jesus, those close to him and those at a distance, we're going to start seeing this picture of their unbelief. And that, that's not saying it hasn't happened yet in the gospel or, or in, in Mark and his account, but we're going to see it in some pretty stark contrast. And we're going to see it kind of really come and blatant to Jesus that, hey, I want what you're going to give me, but I, I don't, don't want to follow you. I don't want to believe that you're God, and I don't want to give you any credit, and I don't want to do anything. I just want what I want. So if you can do that, then good. If you can't, get out. And I think we still approach Jesus many times like that in in our own lives. And those of us who follow him, then we just resist that and we fight that. Those of us that don't follow him, those of us who haven't given our lives to him in belief and in faith, and many times that's our attitude fully towards him, it's the attitude of unbelief that if you're not willing to do what I want you to do, when I want you to do it, then I'm not going to believe in you nor follow you. And so that's basically what he's experiencing here. And uh, hey, do me a favor. Can you turn the lights up just a little bit more there, Lance? Thank you. And uh, so as we study this chapter, I want you to keep in mind this uh, uh, admonition um, from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. You see, God takes belief seriously, and so should we. But he also takes unbelief seriously, and so should we. So let's look at this. An unbelief, the unbelief among those who knew Jesus well. So it starts out in verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogues, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? Where are these remarkable miracles he is performing? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is without honor except in his own town is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. I'm only going to be able to go into that last part just a little bit at the end here, but let me just remind you, Jesus was only amazed. It's only written that he was amazed at something twice. 
and both had to do with faith. The first time was with, with the, uh, the, the centurion's daughter, and he says he was amazed at his faith. His faith, that he had faith that Jesus would heal. He had faith that Jesus could do what he promised to do. He had faith that Jesus' power would alter his daughter's life. I, but the other time it's used is right here. And he was amazed and astonished at their unbelief. Only two times those words are used about Jesus. He takes belief and unbelief very serious. So let's take a look. It says Jesus was there. Jesus left there, meaning you know where it was, and he went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. Uh, the trip to Nazareth was uh, the second recorded visit to his hometown uh, since the start of his public ministry. His first visit occurred shortly after his temptation in the wilderness. Remember, Luke recorded it, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and where, as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. See, Jesus would have been very familiar with those uh, that were attending the synagogue because they were the ones that he walked around with, that he lived next door to, that he grew up around, that Nazareth was his hometown. To them, he was just an ordinary member of their small town. You see, it was customary for traveling rabbis to be invited to the local synagogues to read scripture and then to address the congregation. Uh, because word about Jesus' powerful teaching, his masterful teaching, his teaching that changed life was spreading all around, people came to hear it, and even the people of his own town. But it was more of a skepticism that I came to hear in the synagogue. It was like, this kid? This kid's been teaching that everybody's talking about. This is the kid that everybody's talking about, right? And so this is back at his first visit, and he just experienced this battle with Satan and prevailed, and, and he, with the Spirit upon him, he walks in and begins to teach from the Word of God, right? Teach from the Word of God. And so they assemble and they gather to see this kid from their hometown. Who's this guy? I remember him running around with a snotty nose. I remember that kid. Huh, really? Let's hear it. So then he reads a messianic passage from Isaiah 61. Remember that? So the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Remember what happened? He rolled up the scroll, right? And he said this, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I'm the Messiah, the one that everybody prophesied about, the one you've been waiting for, the one that I, I'm him. Just wanted you to know, I'm him. Remember, he's surrounded by who? People who live next door that watched him grow up, and they're like, what, what? It was the same prophecy that had been spoken about him. It was the same, this was the same kid that had everything happen to him in Bethlehem, and, and he came in this most miraculous way. Certainly, Joseph and Mary were still telling the story about who he was. It was the same one that Simeon uh, 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 prophesied over. It was the same one. I mean, all these things happened. It's the same Jesus. It was a Jesus that never did anything wrong. He probably had the nickname, ah, the good kid, <laughs> whatever. But because he didn't do anything wrong, it was still the same one who worshiped God throughout his whole life, still the same one that exhibited this incredible adoration for the Father. And here he was saying, if you don't get it, if you haven't understood it, let me just tell you really clearly. It's me. I'm him. I'm the Messiah. And instead of 
giving him this like hometown welcome and going, whoa, our hero. Man, we're going to follow you. We're going to go wherever you ask us to go. We know you. Like, yes. Uh Uh-uh. That's not what happens. They run him out of town. They take him to the edge of a cliff and they try to, they try to kill him right there. But he's able to slip away and that wasn't the end of his life because the father hadn't appointed that time for it to happen. So that was his first welcome. That was his first rejection. That was his first one. And then, because of his grace and his mercy and because of his kindness, he heads back to, the, to his hometown. Heads back to his hometown. And after he heads back, he does the same thing he did the first time. He headed into the synagogue for their, uh, to teach. Let me read that real quick. So when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. And then they asked those questions. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's been performing? Now, that gives something away in the text, right? Remember, we're going to always look for text clues. That gives something away in the text that they know about his teaching. They know what he has been teaching. They know the power of his teaching. They know the words of his teaching, and they know of the miracles he's been performing. They know of what he's been doing, and yet they're still standing there with great skepticism, and yet they're still sitting in a state of unbelief. Jesus did all those things, not just simply so people would be healed or experience the power of God, He did it to display the power of God. He did it to reveal his authority. And he did it to assure everyone that he had the power to forgive sins and to bring about salvation and to bring unity between them and the Father. And here were the people closest to him that knew him the best that were still rejecting that message. They asked these questions, but the answer was right before them. Uh, They thought they knew who Jesus was, but they were not willing to have their minds changed, turned, or transformed. This is just a kid that grew up next door. Come on, man, what's the big deal? Well, they're about to see. Because, you see, if if you look at a kind of a recount of some of what's been happening, not in the last three decades that they were looking at, but simply in the last couple years and months, then here's what we know happened. In Mark 4, he instantly healed a violent, he instantly calmed a violent storm on the Sea of Galilee. The next day on the eastern shore of the lake, he cast a legion of demons into a herd of pigs. And then returning to Capernaum, Jesus healed a woman who had suffered from incessant bleeding for more than a decade. He then raised the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus back to life by bringing up his, his occupation, his family, and people of Nazareth, and all that, which we're going to look at here in just one second, they, they take their focus off what's really there. And they put their focus on what they've seen and know from the past, what their mind was set on, because they don't want their minds to change for whatever reason that is. They don't want to surrender themselves for whatever reason that is. And unbelief often does that to us. You see, unbelief will often focus on the past and the irrelevant. Unbelief will often focus on the past or the irrelevant. And we see that right now. And here's what they get into next. They get into great questions about about who he was or who he wasn't and where did he come from and and how wasn't he a... Remember what they said? They said, did this man... uh, Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this... uh, Isn't he the, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? 
Aren't his sisters here with us? They get into these things of the past and they've set their mind there and they focus on that, missing all that God's doing right now to reveal the power of who Christ is. And they've also focused on the irrelevance. What does it matter? What does it matter if he was the brother of, 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 of Judas, the, the brother of James, the brother? What does it matter? What is God doing in his life today? What does it matter what was in the past? What is God doing in his life today, right now? What is God revealing to you? What is he speaking to you through the life of Jesus that you're supposed to know and understand today? Unbelief gets really comfortable in what they know from themselves. Unbelief, what it knows from itself, what it has become comfortable with, it gets really comfortable to just sit there because this is how I've aligned myself and this is how I've aligned my relationship with God and I don't want it to stretch and I don't want it to move and I don't want anything else to change. This is what I believe about God and God's going to fit in my box. They had a belief about God and God was supposed to fit in their box. And this little snot-nosed Jesus kid did not align with their understanding of who God was, did not align with what they thought about Jesus or what they thought about God or what they thought about how God would send salvation to them. It did not align at all. And so they stayed focused on the past. They stayed focused on the irrelevant and they missed completely what God was revealing to them. And they could have known it first. They could have seen it first. They could have engaged with it first. They could have been used as tools and vessels in God's hand in Jesus' arsenal to take this message to the entire world. Instead, they sat in a place of unbelief. Well, what does that speak to us? You're like, well, they just you know, knew Jesus this way and that way. No, no, no. It speaks the same thing to us. We get really comfortable, don't we? We get really comfortable with our understanding of God and who he is. Except for our understanding of God and who he is is supposed to continually grow. Our understanding of Christ and who he is is supposed to continually grow. Our understanding of what Christ wants from our life is supposed to continually grow. We are never supposed to understand God by our context. We're to understand God by his context. We're never supposed to align God's character with our character. We're always supposed to align our character with God's character. Does that make sense? And that means there's this constant unfolding throughout our whole lives. We never get stuck on the past. Where we were was great for that day. But if we stay there, then we're never growing in our relationship with Christ. We're never becoming who Christ intended for us to be. We're never making our steps towards holiness and godliness that Christ had always intended for us to make. There's no such thing as, as staying stagnant in your relationship with Christ. You're either going backwards because that day is long gone and all it's going to do is develop an unbelief in the future or we're moving closer to Christ. And we're growing in our belief. And we're growing in our faith. And it's getting into every area of our life. And it's soaking into every nook and cranny. And it's coming out in every possible way. We can't get stuck in the past. What else does it mean to us? Don't keep people that the Lord is working in their lives in the past either. God's transforming people's lives and we still view them as who they were. We get focused on their past instead of embracing what God's doing in their future right now, the present and their future. We still treat them as if they were this person untransformed. We still treat them as if they were this person unknowing about God and Christ. And we don't embrace what God's done in their life now. We don't give them that place of belonging because they're in the kingdom of God with us. We sometimes don't heed their words because they're immature or they're just new to the faith. And, oh, I'm glad you're really excited, but that'll wear off sooner or later. Don't worry about it. May that never be us. 
May that never be us. May we realize that God's transforming somebody's life and we get just as excited with them. That the person who gives their life to Christ, we would rejoice as all heaven rejoices. And we would we'd be eager to hear what God's doing in their life. And we'd be eager to hear what they're learning. And we would even allow what they're learning and how their life is being transformed to speak into our lives and to be an advice and a counsel to us. Oh, they will have a lot to learn about what it means to follow Christ, there's no doubt. But if the Holy Spirit enters their life, may we not put limits on how quickly God will change their life. And may we not put limits on how quickly they will learn about who God is and what he's done in their life. And may we not put limits. May we not put limits based upon their past about how God can use them in our life today. And we do that far too often. So one, let's not get stuck in the past in our relationship with Christ. Let's understand that he's doing a new thing and we need to be about that new thing. He's constantly wanting us to grow and we need to be growing. And how best do we do that? We get into the word every single day and we grow according to what he is. There's a, a knowledge and understanding that we have to glean from the word and we take that in and we understand more and more about who he is and what he wants for our life. And we grow closer and closer to him. And in that, we realize that people can be changed in an instant. In that, we realize that people can be transformed. And in that, we realize that people can have an influence in our lives. That maybe at one time, we're so far away from Christ, we would consider them an enemy. But today, they're my brother. Never underestimate or reject or have a have an unbelief about the work that Christ is going to do in somebody else's life. Unbelief can often represent itself with contempt. You see, when their unbelief could not stand against what they saw and what they heard, they moved forward with contempt. See, the truth wears on a person. It battles a person. And so we turn against the person, the messenger of that which we simply do not believe. We try to discredit them or turn the attention away from them. So when they said that thing, isn't he the son of Mary? That was literally an insult and an affront to Christ. That was like slapping him in the face. We go, hey, I thought he was just, you know, wasn't that Mary's son? The moment you say, wasn't that Mary's son, you took his lineage, you took everything away from him, you took his title away from him, you took his family away from him because they were known by the father's family not by the mother's family. They discredited him by saying, aren't you Mary's son, as opposed to saying, aren't you Joseph's son? Now, there's a possibility in there that we don't want to neglect that maybe Joseph already passed away by that time. Most scholars don't believe that's the case, but there's a possibility of it. But here's what we do know. To make that statement is still to try to discredit him, to try to insult him, right? It shows contempt for him. And then that whole part about the brothers and the sisters, he goes, man, he's just one of us. It absolutely takes the attention off of his deity and makes him common. You know, if we go back to the Ten Commandments, you know, the commandment that says, uh, you know, don't use the Lord's name in vain. Other versions say don't profane the name of the Lord. That literally means to make the Lord's name common. They're like, well, what, is, what, is that, what does that look like? You know, what am I not supposed to say? Don't say this word. It means do not make that which is holy, that which is righteous. Don't make it common. And in that moment, in that instance, they took Jesus 
and just brought them right down to that common everyday wire. You're just one of us. And he wasn't. Even though he was walking among us, he was not just one of us. Even though he was experiencing the same temptations and trials and suffering that we would experience, he was not just commonly one of us. He was still fully God and fully man all at the same time. He never surrendered his deity. And so, when that's waging against me, when the truth of who God is and what he wants to do in my life wages against me, and I stay in my unbelief, I'm at war. And when I'm at war, then I will show contempt towards the one who's bringing the message or the one who the message is about. I'm going to show contempt towards them. I'm going to lash out at them personally. We see that so much in our society right now. It couldn't be more evident in the way that we can't even have a common debate anymore without it getting personal and lashing out and having contempt for somebody else. And it gets all personal and we start talking about people's families and kids and the way they look. And that's just the dumbest thing ever. And yet it comes from the core of our sinful heart because we have done it to God our entire existence. Right? And so unbelief often represents itself in contempt. So what does that mean for us? Well, first of all, when we're having a hard time with our belief or we're having a hard time with what God's teaching us or we're having a hard time with where he wants us to move, we're having a hard time with the trial that he has us in, we're having a hard time with the season of life that we're going through, we're having a hard time with those things, don't show contempt towards God. There's this, there's this expression that's often used, and we could sit around and debate it for a long time, but I used to use it. I used to use it in my messages. I used to use it in my counseling. I'm like, hey, hey, if you're going to get mad at anybody, get mad at God. He can take it. He can shoulder that burden. <laughs> that's our righteous, holy God. That's the one that oversees all things. It is providential among all, all places, all things, all people. And I'm not saying God wants us to be fake. There's moments where we're just going to be upset about life. And he's going to take our hand and walk us right through it. But let that not be our first response. Let not, that not be our common response. That when we're going through those tough things, or we're having a hard time believing in his promises, or we're having a hard time moving where he's asking us to move, let us not show contempt towards the Father. Let us not show contempt towards Jesus and start to get angry. Start to get mad and become bitter with him. We will miss the blessings that he has. Remember, trials and sufferings, what do they produce? A stronger faith, a greater endurance, a more closeness with Jesus Christ. He never promised to keep us out of those tough moments. And he never promised that he wouldn't stretch us. He did the exact opposite. He's going to stretch us. He's going to change us. And he's going to bring us through those trials. So what should we do? If we're not going to show contempt, what should we do? Press in. Press into Jesus. Press into who he is. Press into his promises and cling ever so tightly and let it change your life. Let it change your life. He has the power to do that. And also, back to that person whose life was changed that sometimes we have a hard time with, that have a hard time believing God can do that, well, they might just start pushing your buttons a little bit. They might start testing your faith because they're pretty serious about walking with Christ. They're pretty serious about the life that's been changed. They're pretty serious about even speaking truth into your life. Matter of fact, they might come to you, hey, 
did you see what scripture had to say here? That doesn't look like your life looks like that. And you're like, okay, all right, all right. Let us not show contempt for that. Let's not show, let us not show contempt for that person. Let us walk with them. Let us try to figure out what the Lord is actually trying to say to us. And let us help them learn to be gentle with their response. Let us help them to learn to be loving with their response. But may it not come out with contempt because God's at work in their life. God's changing them. And you just might be put on display a little bit, right? You just might be challenged by their faithfulness. You may not like it a whole lot. Don't show them content. Go to the Lord, press in and say, Lord, what are you showing me through my brother or sister whose life has been changed and now their life is challenging me? And finally, this one. Unbelief will often dismiss the supernatural. Unbelief will often dismiss the supernatural. Like we said a minute ago, they knew what was happening all around them, right? They knew what was going on. And they were just dismissing it as if it was just a, I don't know, I don't know what it was, just a freak sideshow or something. No, this is the Lord putting his power and everything on display. He's putting his work on display. It's not some sideshow. We don't dismiss. So when we find that we're dismissing the supernatural, when we find that we're dismissing works of God, when we find that we're saying, hey, well, that, was a, that was a great happen chance there. Hey, that was, a, that was a really bizarre coincidence there. That was a, and we're not even open to the possibility that God was working, that God was arranging things to come together. We're not even open to the possibility that I didn't read that passage just by random hap chance. I read that passage because the Lord is supernaturally drawing me to this exact passage because he's making a change and an alteration in my life. When we pray and we say, oh yeah, I'll pray for that. We need to believe and not dismiss the supernatural. God can really change people's lives. And when we pray that he can really work in people's lives, when we ask for healing for people, he still heals today. He still changes life today. He still does miracles today. He still wants to do miracles through you and through our belief in him, right? Now, that doesn't mean that we have a Santa Claus or a genie in a bottle. It doesn't mean just because I believe something, it's going to happen, right? That's not what this is talking about at all. It just says that we believe that God is who he says he is. We believe in his supernatural power. We believe that he can do miracles that we can't explain. We believe that he can do immeasurably more in our life than we could ever think or imagine. We believe that he is the all-knowing, all-providential, ever-present, all-powerful God that he claims to be. And we live in the context of that belief. And that belief draws out how we make choices in our life, how we treat others. Right? So in that belief, what's going to happen to us? We're going to be absolutely available for whatever God has for us in our life. So what is it? Right? What is it? What is it that he wants to speak to us? How is it that he wants to move us? How is it that he wants to change us? What is it that he wants to teach us? Are you open to it? Do you have faith that he's moving in your life? Do you have faith that he wants to change you? Do you have faith that for every day of your existence, there's more to know about God and more to grow in and more ways that your life is being transformed and God wants to be in the mix of that? Are you, are you going to walk on the side of belief that even during the tough times and the trials, you won't show contempt towards God, but you'll embrace what he's doing and trust that he's working out for your best because he loves you and you love him, right? Are you going to trust what he's doing in other people's lives? Are you going to trust? And when something irritates you about the body of Christ, when something irritates you about the truth of Scripture, 
when something irritates you about what God's doing in your life, you'll refuse, you'll resist to show contempt, but instead you'll embrace, you'll learn, and you'll grow. You'll have faith to move forward where the Lord's asked you to move. Right? Will you believe in the supernatural works of the Lord? What would happen if his church said, I believe every word in here, and I believe in the full power of God, and I believe that he wants to put his fullness on display through each one of us through the works of his Holy Spirit? What would happen in our midst? Would we see the crippled walk? Would we see the deaf have, be able to hear? Would we see the, the blind have sight? I don't know why not. If that's the way the Lord's moving, then he absolutely has the power to do that. Would we see those in our lives be transformed? Would we see them receive the blessing of a relationship with God? Certainly can do that work. He certainly is powerful enough to do that work. Can we see him step in and actually change the, the physics of the world we live in to save one of us, to give hope to somebody, to bring joy to somebody's life, to offer peace to somebody's life? Yes! Why couldn't he do that? He did it in Scripture. Why couldn't he do it, do it in the midst of our presence? What we want is we want God to work as he chooses to work in each one of our lives because that's what's best. Will you be open to that? So when he steps in and begins to teach you, which he does every moment, will you receive his message and not reject him as his own family did? May Jesus not become common to us, but instead may he stay the author and the perfecter of our faith, the great God that he is. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your greatness, your mercies. Thank you for your love and your kindness. Thank you for the blessings. Lord, we want to grow with you. We want to know more about you. We want to move in the direction that you're asking us to move in. We want to be transformed by your teaching. We want to embrace what you're doing in our lives and other people's lives. We want to be challenged. And Lord, we can't wait to see how you will show up and show off in ways we never could have imagined. We're open to that, Father. No, no, no. We're more than open. We believe you can do the impossible. And so, Father, we're your vessels. Use us. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.